we were talking about this show called How It's Made. Anyone ever watch How It's Made? I love that show. It's fun. I love learning about how things are, are manufactured, how they're put together. Um, and you can learn about everything from convertible cars to, uh, to you know, bolts and nuts and screws to toothpicks to skateboards to jelly beans, right? It's, it's everything. And they just walk you through the whole process of how these things are made. And it's just, it's just a fun show. You know, and you see in this show that there's a clear process. That everything that, that we have around us, uh, whether it's the chair that you're sitting in, the car that you drove here in, you know, the, the projector that's putting the, the, the slides up on the screen, there's a manufacturing process that was established and that everything that, that goes through that process ends up producing a particular result. And it's clear there, there's ways that you can uh, evaluate it along the way, and you see that in the show. They'll do quality control on certain, certain items, right? Because you don't want a jelly belly that tastes wrong. Now, they do intentionally make weird flavors, right? right? I, I, heard, I just heard this week that there's a game that you can play where you get, like, stinky sock-flavored jelly beans. Really? Like, who's the one who, who like, determines that this is an accurate flavor? That's just... It's just weird. Um, But each ingredient and each component coming together at the right time in the right way to produce something that that will fulfill the design or the purpose it was designed for. A particular process with everything coming together just at the right time so that something is produced that will fulfill its intended purpose. Well, that's what we've been talking about in Ephesians chapter 4, as we continue with this series, The Overcoming Fellowship. God is a God of order. He is a God of process. He is a God who designs and creates, and He does things a certain way. That, you know, there's nothing haphazard about God. There's nothing random about God. He knows what He wants to produce in our lives, and He has a plan and a process to produce it. And so this morning, we're going to talk about how you're made. Not how it's made, but how you're made and the processes that God has in place to help achieve a particular desired result in your life and in my life. So we are talking about the overcoming fellowship. We've been using this definition for uh, the overcoming fellowship. Uh, We'll get that up on the screen. The church is a community of people called out from every nation on earth to display demonstrate and declare God's nature, God's ways, and God's truth to all who live on the earth so they might turn to him and live. That they might turn to him and live. We're called out. We are the ecclesia, the called out ones. Called out why? To display, demonstrate, and declare. Our preferences, our likes, no. We talked about last week those places where there's biblical core and then there's traditions and then there's the personal preferences. It's not about just our preferences. It's about who God is, his nature, his ways, and his truth. And it is our job as the church, the followers of Jesus Christ as his bride, to demonstrate, declare, and display these attributes of who God is. We've been talking about the equipping of the saints for the last couple of weeks. But really, we started this journey way back in Romans chapter 8, the beginning of the year. 
we started this transformation pathway journey, really what we were kicking off was the process that God wants to take us through, every believer that he wants to take us through in, in being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 through 29 says this, And we know that all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those, who God, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. What's the goal? What's the end goal for us as believers? What is God after? That we would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And so the quality control component for us is we compare ourselves, we look at scripture, we read about who Jesus is, and we look at our lives and go, okay, am I getting closer? Am I getting closer to looking like Jesus, to living like Jesus, to acting like Jesus? Because when I do, I am being an active part of the church and demonstrating and declaring and displaying who God is in the world. And so this process that God has started, and way back when we started this series, I made this statement, that God is more committed to your transformation than you are. I say that again. God is more committed to the, the process transformation in your life than you are. Because every day there are going to be things that come up in my own flesh and in my own life that I want to resist what God wants for me, and I just do, want to do what I want to do. That Barry wants to do Barry's thing and live Barry's life. And God's like, no, 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 I want, to do, I want to work a process in you where you start saying no to the things of the flesh and no to the things of the world and saying yes to the things of the Spirit. And Paul would say that you would clothe yourself in Christ, that you would clothe yourself in righteousness every day, moving towards this goal of looking more like Jesus. Can we say amen to that? I want to be more like Jesus today than I was yesterday, and I want to be more like him tomorrow than I was today. There's a clear process, a clear process. God will use every situation, every circumstance, every person in your life to help shape you. And you watch that show how it's made, there's, there's, there's certain items, you know, early on in the manufacturing process, especially things made out of steel or, or metal, right? You, and they, they put the metal into a furnace and there's this heating up and this pounding that takes place and, and it's, very, it's very active and almost violent process to produce what, what's needed. That God says, I'm going to do things in your life that aren't necessarily violent. But I tell you what, sometimes there's a rending that has to take place. Where God says, I'm going to remove things and I'm going to stretch you. And it's hard. And every step of the way, he says, I'm committed, committed to who you are and what I want to accomplish in your life. Two weeks ago, I made the statement that the overcoming church is a place where the people of God are equipped to do what? The work of God. The people are equipped, the people of God are equipped to do the work of God. That He is designing us and He is instilling us a specific purpose. That He's equipping us, as Ephesians says, we'll read in a second, to a particular end. That we would be built up and that we would share the love of God. 
And so it's not just for you, but it's for other people. And that's where we landed last week. We asked this question, how can the grace of God in my life serve you and build you up? Because Paul writes there that each one of us has been given a grace. A grace has been given or apportioned or measured out to us. And so the question is, how can the grace in my life and the grace in your life serve and be a blessing to those around you? Well, we're going to finish up this this portion of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 4 today. And we're going to take a little bit of a different approach to it. I'm going to read, read a couple of sections of this, this chapter, and then we're actually going to go through it verse by verse, and we're going to unpack some of the things that we see Paul writing here and some of the truths uh, that he shares. So uh, Ephesians chapter 4, I want to read verses 1 through 7, verses 1 through 7. We're going to go backward a little bit because it's going to set uh, the tone, and you'll notice that I highlighted and underlined uh, some different and key thoughts here. Um, Pay attention to those as we read this passage. So Ephesians 4, verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope. When you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned, that, apportioned it. Let's leave that verse up on the screen if you would. What would you say the, 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 the theme of this uh, portion or this passage of Scripture is? If you could sum it up in one word, what would it be? Unity. Unity. Absolutely. It's all about Unity. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. One. Oneness. Unity. Absolute, total unity. We see it here in the Godhead. We see it. One spirit. You're right. One Lord, one God, one Father. There's one faith. And he's saying there's one body, there's one church, and that God has called us to be a unified body. A body that works together. We're going to continue reading in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to jump down to verse 11, and we're going to read through the end of verse 16. So starting in verse 11, it was he who gave some to be apostles and some to, uh, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare or equip God's people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity Reach what? Unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of, fullness, of the fullness of Christ. Then, here's the result. What's, what's the goal of all of this? Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and, and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their de- deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow into him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work as each part 
does its work. We're going to start in verse 11, and we're going to just move through this systematically because I believe there's some things that we need to catch and understand from the heart of God as Paul has written them here. And, and, I, and I'll be honest, there's, there's times I've read through this passage and I skip over certain parts. Do you ever, do you ever read something in the Bible and, and maybe it doesn't make sense to you up front, so rather than stopping and really spending time there, you kind of just move on to something that does. Does anyone else do that ever? Or is it just me? All right. Because sometimes there's just work that's, that, that needs to happen. Or there's just an idea or a concept or, or the language itself that you go, I don't get that. I don't understand it. And it's appropriate and it's good for us to stop and say, wait, what does that mean? Or there's those parts of scripture that just seem familiar. Like, yeah, I, I get that. It's good. I got that. I'll just move on. And God says, no, no, slow down. And let my spirit speak to you, and don't let the familiar be an excuse just to move forward, because I want to speak to you in this. So I want, to, want us to marinate for a few minutes in verses 11 through 16. So we've established that Paul here, his whole goal is talking about unity, unity. So in verse 11, he starts out here in verse 11, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be teachers, uh, pastors and teachers. Who is he? It's Jesus. That Jesus gave all of these different ones. It was he, Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers. It's what we call the fivefold ministry. The fivefold ministry. And it encompasses and it makes up what we would call church leadership. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, um, but it's, it's worth just uh, reframing where we're at and why this is important. The fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Church leadership. And that Jesus says, I have given the leadership of the church, the leadership of the flock, in order to serve and equip the saints for the work of of the ministry. You'll notice that there's different assignments. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers all have unique and different assignments. We use one term in the church when it comes to leadership, kind of carte blanche, we use the word pastor. The reality is, is that in order for you to be equipped within the body of Christ, you need more than just a pastor. You need apostles, prophets, evangelists, and teachers as well. Now, I'm not going to spend too much time unpacking this. This is, a, this is something we're actually going to talk about in the new year, and we'll, we'll do a full treatment of all of these. But, but the thing that's important for us to note here is that God recognizes that we're all different, and we walk through different seasons, and we have different needs. And so a manufacturing process is not just the same thing over and over and over again. You start at a certain point with the raw material, and then you move to a, to a different point, and then things start getting refined a little bit, and they start getting shaped and molded, and then you move to a different spot in the, in the manufacturing process, and now things are starting to take shape, and you can start telling, oh, oh, that, that's actually going to be you know, whatever the, 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 the item is, whatever the product is. And then there's a refining that takes place. And then there's a, a, an outfitting with different equipment and gear, whatever, you know, whatever product pops into your mind until at some point it's completed. 
Well, the person who works with the raw material is not the same person who does the refining at the end. So imagine that God's saying here, I've given these five uh, key areas of ministry because I want my body, my church, to be developed in different ways. And so that this exists, these five areas, these five ministries exist for you, recognizing at some point you're going to need someone with an apostolic gifting to speak into your life. And at some point, someone with a prophetic gift will need to speak into your life. At some point, you're going to need an evangelist to speak into your life. At some point, you'll need a pastor to speak into your life. At some point, you're going to need someone to teach you and take you deeper in the things of the Word. Why? So that you can be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, being built up. And so it's not a static. You see how active this process is. And for so many, churches become this, this static process where I just simply come and sit and receive, and then that's it. And I just go to church. God's saying, no, 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 there's a, there's a process here that I want to take you through, and I'm going to use these areas of leadership in your life to help form you into the person that God's created you to be. He goes on in verse 12, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. He wants to equip you, and he wants to instill things in you that will prepare you for service. When you, when you purchase something for your home, say you buy a TV, right? You're a huge football fan, and your wife finally said, yes, you can go buy that 80-inch TV, right? Can I get an amen? All right. <laughs> and you bring it home, and it's in the box, and it's gone through a manufacturing process. It's the latest 4K TV, incredible resolution, right? It's... it's and you know when you put that thing up, it's going to feel like you're actually at the game, right? Now, you would not, it would be foolish to bring that TV into your house, set it over in the corner and go, guys, I got, I got a 4K 80-inch TV. You invite your friends over, and, and they're like, great, where is it? They're like, oh, it's over in the corner. Well, why are we still watching the 27-inch TV? Well, I, I have the TV. It's right there. Well, take it out of the box and hang it on the wall and plug it in and let's enjoy this thing. God says that I'm preparing you and I'm equipping you for a reason that there's work for us to do. And not only is there work for, for us to do, but it starts here. That the body of Christ may be built up. That the work and the things that God pours into you, the first place he wants to use your gift is right here in the body. That you get to practice on each other. You get to be a blessing to each other. The word prepare here, the word equip, the word katartizo, katartizo. One word, three meanings. First is the mending of the broken. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. The mending of the broken. In Matthew chapter 4, we see Jesus comes up on the disciples. They're mending their nets. We made the statement that broken, broken nets mean lost fish. If your nets aren't, have holes in them, it means that your catch is going to go away. It's going to get away. That God wants to mend us. If 
fact, this week, I was, as I was meditating and thinking on this, I really had this picture in my mind that when we come together in this place, that God is mending us and he's reconnecting us. And when you're done here, when you leave here today, essentially what God is doing is he's taking us as the church. You ever seen a picture of a fisherman with a net? And he takes and he throws that net. Where? Back out into the community so that we can be fishers of men, just like he said to the disciples, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. They would have understood the analogy and the picture that God is mending us so that we can be effective in reaching the lost. It also means that we would be fully prepared for a purpose. There is a process that God takes us through so that we become what he's designed and called us to be, and then restoring the falling, as Galatians talks about, restore the, the, the brother who's fallen, restore him gently, that you're never out of the race. That as a believer, that there's never a point where God says, you're done, you're out of the race, you're finished. And I've come across so many Christians who are content to say, you know what? I crossed too many lines, I made too many mistakes, so I'm just going to kind of spend the rest of my time, I'm not walking away from God, but there's no way that God can actually use me. And it's a lie from the enemy that God says, I can do a restoring work in and through you. Verse 13, verse 13, until we all, everyone say all, All. say it again, one, two, three, All. all. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. All right, I'm going to start at the end. The fullness of Christ, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This is one of those statements that you could read and go, that sounds cool, I'm not sure what that means, let me just keep going to verse 14. But let's stop here for a second. The whole measure of the fullness of Christ goes back to Romans chapter 8, to be conformed to the image of Jesus. The whole measure of the fullness of Christ just basically means you look like Jesus, that you act like Jesus, that you live like Jesus. Does that make sense? That's all that that means. Everything that comes with being like Christ, following Christ, living like Christ, that's the whole measure. All right, so let's go back to the beginning. Until we all reach the unity and the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Why is this unity of faith, unity of knowledge, and unity of maturity? Because that's the way that Paul writes this. It's not just unity of one. but, But his desire is that we would find unity in every one of these areas. Faith, knowledge, and maturity. Why? Is this so important? Why is unity such an important key concept for Paul? And why does he keep coming back to it? I mean, when we read verse 1 through 7, he says 1, 1, 1, 1, 1, 1, 1, over again. When you read Paul's epistles and you read through scripture, unity is key. In fact, Jesus, when he prays for his disciples, what's his prayer? That they would be one, just as he and the Father are one. Unity. Why is this so important? Because we are in a battle that manifests itself in division. We are in a battle that manifests itself in division. 
And if you've been a part of the church or any church for any amount of time, you've probably come up against this. You've been in a place or you've seen situations where disunity finds its way into the church. And it makes a mess every single time. I was having a conversation with a, a, a friend who pastors in Arizona and she was telling Megan and myself that the community that she's pastoring in, um, that, that the, church, the church as a whole in this community has just struggled. In fact, the church that she's pastoring uh, has been there for about 20 years and they have been through multiple church splits. Multiple church splits. And that those splits, those, those groups that left angry and started their own church, that those churches have split. And there is just this fractured body of believers in this particular community. And she realized soon, soon after getting there, after taking the lead role in this church and having a team go with her to pastor this church, that their approach would have to be very different. Because the entire community, not just the believers, but the, those who don't, are, are not Christ followers, who don't attend church, know that the church in this community is broken. Why? Because disunity found a place. It found a home inside of the church. And I tell you what, when, when the church is not united, when we are not walking in unity, we're not being built up. We can't be built up. It's like one part of the manufacturing process is just broken. And the line stops and everything backs up up to that point. And no one's moving beyond. Why is this so important? Because we are in a battle that manifests itself in division. And so we have to fight for unity. Notice that he says, we all. We all. That means everyone. That what Paul is talking about here is available to everyone who would call on the name of Jesus. That there is no one who was on the outside looking in and hearing this. No, no, this isn't for you. This is just for some people. This is just for those who fit a certain mold or category or have done certain things in their lives or haven't made these mistakes. Paul says, when we all reach unity in the faith, that his desire and then the desire of the Lord, that there wouldn't be a single person left behind. That there wouldn't be a single person in his church, in his bride, who would ever feel like, you know what, the bus left without me. Or I didn't have a place on the bus. That God says, no, there's a place for you. There's a place for you, and I want to see this achieved in your life, that we all all of this unity, all of this maturity is available to all of you. All of it. The clear progression here as well. We see the unity of faith. He starts in there. He says the unity of faith. And then the unity of the knowledge. And then the maturity comes after those things are there. See, you're not going to have a, a knowledge of who God is. is if, if right out of the gate you're having an issue with your brother or sister. If unity in the body is lacking or unity in the faith is lacking, we're not going to be able to engage with who God is and the understanding. We're going to have a skewed understanding of who He is. So it starts with the unity in faith. 
in unity and the knowledge of Jesus. And then he moves on to maturity. And then ultimately the result is attaining the full measure, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So let's take a look at verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by cunning, the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming, in their deceitful scheming. Four reasons for body breakdown. There's reasons that the body of Christ breaks down. There's reasons that the church gets fractured and things go sideways and relationships fall apart. Let's start with this idea of being an infant. Infants are cute, right? Babies are cute, but babies are also a lot of work, a lot of work. Babies babies can't do anything for themselves. They're weak. They don't have any strength. They can't stand. They can't walk. And so you have to cater to every need and every cry and every whim, right? Sometimes at 2 o'clock in the morning and then 3 o'clock in the morning and 4 o'clock in the morning. When Paul calls us infants, he's not saying you're cute. What he's saying is you cry and you whine, and you poop a lot. (laughs) And someone has to take care of you. And he says it's not okay for us to stay infants. That we have to mature. If we want to be effective, we have to mature. Years ago, there was those those movies, the Look Who's Talking movies, where the babies were like all smart, and they were engineers, and doing all kinds of stuff, right? Firmly rooted in fantasy. (laughs) Babies can't. No matter how much they want to and how much we would want them to, they just can't go there. And Jesus' desire is that we would be a mature church because he can't use an immature church. That he cannot engage with people, he cannot engage the plans and the purposes that he's laid out with people who are infants in the faith. As much as he would want to, we don't have what it takes to do it. And so Paul's instruction is here, don't, don't be infants. Why? Because this is what happens to infants in the faith, to those who are immature in the faith. Four reasons for body breakdown. First is this, storms. Storms. Tossed back and forth by the waves. Tossed back and forth by the waves. That in every one of our lives, there are situations and things that will take place, circumstances that will introduce themselves, trials and difficulties. Every one of us will deal with those things. And when they do, what surfaces in our lives will expose our level of maturity and where we are. For those who are infants or immature, when the storms come, what happens? What comes out? Fears. Fear is the first thing that's there. Fear is just immediately on the surface. Irrational or or, or out of place reactions to the circumstances. The storms that would blow you this way and that way. No stability, no foundation. Easily blown off course. That when a storm comes up, like like it would on the Sea of Galilee, 
The Sea of Galilee is in this valley, and storms will come up. Just You can set out on a boat, and everything will look nice and clear. This is where the fishermen were Peter and, and Andrew would go fishing, and everything would look great. But because of the way the valley is shaped, these storms will pop up out of nowhere. And even if you had a destination you were trying to reach, that these storms would blow you off course, and you wouldn't make it to where you needed to be. In the same way, the storms in our lives, if we're not anchored or rooted in Christ, and if we're not maturing in Christ, every storm that blows in, some unexpected. Anyone ever dealt with an unexpected storm? Something shows up, you woke up in the morning and you thought everything was great, and by the time noon hit, you were like, oh my goodness, I can't see beyond the waves. That for those who are not mature in Christ, there will be no foundation The writer of Hebrews says that we have this hope, the hope in Christ, as an anchor for our souls. Why? So that we don't get blown off course. And so those who are are not mature in Christ and those, uh, and one of the, the, the leading causes of breakdown in the body of Christ is the fact that we don't know how to weather a storm because we don't have what it takes. And so we have to be on our guard. We have to be aware that storms will come, not just into our personal lives, but you know that storms will come and present themselves in the life of this this body, in this church. Every church deals with storms. But how we deal with those storms from a place of maturity makes all the difference so that we're not blown off course. Why do we have a church family meeting? So that we can set our target, so we can look and say, this is where God is leading us, so that when storms come, we can go, wait a minute, this is where we're headed, and that's not what God's heart for our church is, that in your walk with the Lord, in your personal life, that there are things and places where you would say, this is what God is leading me to, this is where he wants me to grow, and I recognize that this storm is nothing more than a distraction, an attempt for the enemy to cause me to react in fear and in the flesh. I'm going to determine and and decide in my life to stand strong. The next thing is this. Paul addresses flighty doctrines and false teaching. Blown here and there by every wind of teaching. For those who are not mature in Christ, every idea sounds like a good idea. The latest and the greatest. If you've been in the church for any amount of time, you've heard someone who's come and said, hey, I found this teaching, I found this, this new way, I found this book, and you have to read it. And I'm the expert, and I will teach you how to follow Jesus like I follow Jesus. Can I just tell you right now, all you need to do is follow Jesus. Paul dealt with that. People were like, well, I follow Paul, and I follow, and he's like, just forget about it. Just follow Jesus. But false doctrines and flighty doctrines and and, and false teaching that come in and and people who who find those in the church who are maybe not as established in their faith and in their knowledge of who God is. And I can sell you my wares. In the old days, it was the guy, the peddler, who would come to town and he would sell everyone the elixir, right? The bottle, the medicine. Hey, this is the latest, greatest thing. And it turns out it's water from the river over there with some flavor in it. And it doesn't actually do anything. And how many in the church today are buying into the latest and the greatest? 
I, I hear this. I hear this. And people would come to him and say, Pastor, I was listening to this, this teacher online or I read this book and we need to do this as a church. And more often than not, it's a flighty doctrine. It's not something that's rooted in Scripture. It's not biblical core. And if we're not established in Christ, if we're not mature in Christ, we'll give ear. And it looks good. It's shiny. Right? Shiny object syndrome. Oh, look at that. I've know, I know believers who've spent their life going from one hype, fad thing to the next. But when it comes to an, a, a bedrock, foundational relationship with, with Jesus Christ, it's just not there. God says, focus on the essential things. Don't be distracted by the whims, by the latest and the greatest. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that there's not good books there out there and there's good teachings out there. There are. There are solid things. But if it's presented in a way that it's the latest and the greatest, and call this number now and you'll also get. <laughs> it's probably not something you need. That's a good analogy, actually. How many of you have... Ever, no, don't raise your hands. You've ordered something online, right? Two o'clock in the morning, you're watching QVC, and all of a sudden, there's some... It, it looked good on TV, and you use it twice, and then it breaks. Or it ends up in the, the junk drawer. You know, everyone has the junk drawer, and you're like, why did I even... It looked so good on TV. God says, no, no, no. Land here. Land here. So you can test it. So you can check it out. The next thing is this. Manipulations. Manipulations. But the cunning and craftiness of men. We all do this from time to time. We're all guilty of this. That we will manipulate circumstances and people to get what we want. To make ourselves look better. To promote ourselves and then even to hurt someone else or to make them pay. And Paul's saying, be careful of these things. It's not a sign of maturity. Those who are mature in Christ don't manipulate the people around them. It's the furthest thing from their heart, in fact. Because we're called to love each other sacrificially See, deceitful scheming, dreaming up ways that we can make people do what we want them to do, push people in a certain way. And I hate that it happens in the church, but it does, that people mess with each other's emotions, and they miss, mess with each other's relationships, and sometimes it feels more like junior high than it does a group of adults, because there's a fence and because I'm offended at one person, I need someone else to be offended at that person. So I will manipulate the, 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 the situation so that that person shares in my offense because it makes me feel better. Not the heart of God. Not the heart. In fact, it is so far from unity. I'm going to use you three guys. Can I use you for a second? This was, this was unplanned a little bit, but come on up here real quick. I want to I give an example of how this happens. So, why don't you come over here, Richie? <laughs> so, Andrew and James have a friendship. 
right? And at some point, something happens, and, and James offends Andrew, right? And, and now there's an issue. There's an issue. In fact, James doesn't even know what he did, but Andrew's just ticked off. Because they were hanging out having coffee, and James said something a certain way, and Andrew was like, I, what did he mean by that? What was he, what was he really saying? Because he said this, but his tone of voice said something else. Yeah, and then he followed it up with a text message, which drove things even deeper because he used all caps and was like, was he shouting at me? So Andrew comes over to Richie, and, and they're having coffee, and, and Andrew very righteously says, you know, we need to pray for James. Because James has a problem. Let me tell you about James's problem. All right? And so now Richie has an issue with James. And they're friends, but now there's an issue. All right? You see how this is building? This is a manipulation. Andrew is manipulating Richie so that he shares with his offense against James. But it goes a step further. This is called a triangle, or, right? It's a triangle that gets introduced. Let's say it's the Lord. James comes back to Andrew and says, James comes back to Andrew and says, you know, I said something the other day, and I might, it might have come across wrong. And let me just explain my heart to you. That's not what I meant. Here's what I meant. I know that just came out. And then I followed it up with that text message. And when I reread it, I realized caps lock was on, and it sounded like I was shot. And this happens, and then they go back and sit by themselves, and they're happy. And here's Richie. Richie's still offended at James because of, what, because of what Andrew said. Before Andrew, there was no offense, right? These guys are good. Here's this guy. He's ticked off at James, and there's no restoration. <laughs> Grab a seat. You guys are awesome. How does this work out practically in the church? Like that. And it happens all the time. Or this person said this. Or we cover it under the guise of a prayer request. It's a manipulation and God does not manipulate. Satan manipulates. And when we give place to that, we let the power of Satan manifest itself in the life of the body, and God says it has no place. That's right. Fourth thing is this, lying spirits, lying spirits. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, the serpent comes to Eve and says these words, Did God really say? Did God really say did did he say that if you ate of this fruit that you really would die is that really what would happen or is he just hiding something from you you know i don't think god has your best intention at heart that he doesn't really care about you in fact he's trying to prevent you from being like him which by the way is the very opposite of what god's desire is right lying spirits Lying spirits will call into question God's love, God's truth, God's nature, and his ways. What are we supposed to do with the church? We're supposed to demonstrate, declare, and display God's truth, God's nature, and God's ways. What does the enemy do with a lying spirit? He calls into question those very things that we're supposed to declare. And he says, did God really say? 
Here's the thing about the enemy. He's not very creative. In fact, he's not creative at all. He just keeps using the same trick over and over and over. And he will call into question through lying spirits the very nature of who God is. Did God really say? But then he takes it a a step further and he whispers in our ear. Whispers that call us to question the motives of those in our lives. Those that God has given to us to help build us up. He calls those people into question. He calls their motives into question. And he says, is that person really thinking of your best? So if I confront a brother in love, and I do it appropriately according to Scripture, not in a way that's manipulative, but I do it according to Scripture, and I go to my brother and I address something in his life, the very first thing the enemy will do is say, that person doesn't have your best at heart. That pastor doesn't have your best at heart. That church doesn't have your best. You better go find another church. You better go find a place where they will, where they will uh, treat you with respect and honor who you are and just love you for who you are. Can I tell you that in this church you will always be loved unconditional, unconditionally, but I don't want you to stay an infant. I want you to mature, which means that at some point we'll have a conversation about maturity. And you have to decide, am I going to be offended? Am I going to choose to say no to the lying spirits? See, because when the lying spirits find a home in the body of Christ, there's no unity. There's no unity of faith. There's no unity of knowledge. There's no unity of the spirit. All of those things that Paul talks about up front in verse 1 through 7 are out the window. Because enemy Satan is not a unifying entity. He wants to bring disunity to the church. All right. Verse 15. Instead, instead of those things, the things that bring disunity, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. We will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. Speak the truth in love. So how do we avoid those traps? First thing is this. Listen to loving correction. Do you want to mature? Do you want to grow up into Christ who is the head and receive the full measure? Then learn to receive loving correction. Can I just tell you, we're not good at this. I'm not good at this. Our, our culture, our society, we're not good at this. When I sit on the side of the football field and watch a football team playing, I recognize that our kids are not good at this. That our young people, our students, our kids, and even us as adults don't receive coaching and correction well. Because we all think we know better. Because I've been watching the NFL on TV all my life. And so I know better. You don't. We bring that to our relationship with the Lord and into the church, and it doesn't work here. That we have to listen and receive loving correction. I served with a pastor once who said he would get letters from people in the church, and they would be 
you know, he'd preach on something and then he'd get a letter. That's back when people wrote letters. Um, and he'd get a letter in the mail and he would read it and it would say, you know, pastor, you said this, blah, blah, blah. And it would just, it would tear him down. He said he would take that letter and just crumple it up and throw it in the trash. And then later that day, he would come and pull that letter back out of the trash and smooth it out and then read it, say, Lord, what value is there here? What things of truth are there? What are things that you're trying to do in me and speak to me? So that it's not this fake deal where anytime I'm corrected, I'm like, oh, thank you so much. No, sometimes it just is hard. It's the chisel just hitting away, and you're like, oh, man, you had a touch on that. I thought no one knew about that. Turns out everybody knows. Well, let's address it. And if our response is, you know what, you don't have any right, we'll never grow. Can I just tell you, though, community is key here. Community, if you're not walking in relationship with people, you won't have place for this to happen in your life, and you won't have place to speak into someone else's life. Why is life group so important? Because it's a place where community takes. Right now, we're, not, we're together in this room, and there'll be some fellowship that happens here, but you need, find, you need to have places where you're connecting with people and speaking into their, into their lives, and they can speak into your lives. And sometimes it happens actively, Right? Hey, Richie, let's go grab a cup of coffee. I'd love to have a chat with you about something. And sometimes it just happens passively. I just happen to be in the room and someone's talking about something and the Holy Spirit is bringing correction in my life. Always in a loving way because love builds up. Second is this, choose to believe the best in the motives of others. Believe the best about the people sitting around you right now. Believe that their motives are pure and that they love you and care about you. Even when there's a misunderstanding, right? Instead of going to Richie, you should have gone back to James and said, Listen, that, that, kind of, that, that took that kind of sideways. I'm all offended by what you said. Can you help me understand? Those three words, by the way, have helped me more than a lot of things in my pastoring experience. Help me understand. This is what I heard. Help me understand what you meant. Oh, no, no, that's not what I meant at all. And so often we, we question the motives, and really it's just a communication breakdown. Choose to believe the best in the motives of others. Believe that people are for you, not against you. Which, that might not come easy for you. Maybe that's not been your experience. But you've got to start somewhere. And allow trust to find a place in your life. Fight for unity at all costs. And we will not be a church that grows or has any kind of impact in our community for the kingdom of God if we are not walking in unity. And I, can, I, I need to tell you right now, I can't be the only one in this church fighting for unity. It takes every single one of us committing to say to each other, I will fight for unity, I will fight for you and not with you, no matter what it takes, no matter what the personal cost to me, even if I have to humble myself and maybe look foolish, I will fight for unity 
When I lead missions teams overseas, this is, we talk about this more than anything else because unity will undo any effectiveness that we think we can have in the field. Unity, or, or lack of unity rather, disunity in the body of Christ takes our effectiveness and just throws it in the toilet. We have to fight for unity, and it's up to every one of us to fight for unity. How about this one? Take responsibility for yourself. Take responsibility for yourself. What's a mark of going from being an infant to being mature? I don't need someone else to take care of me anymore. I take care of myself. I take care of my needs. I make sure that I'm in the Word, that I'm allowing the Spirit of God to shape and mold me. And I'm not waiting for someone else to spoon feed me or do it for me. I'm going to take responsibility for my attitudes, for my time, for my devotion, for my commitment, for my faithfulness. I'm going to take responsibility for who I am. It's called growth. And then always, I missed the last one. Ask this question, what pleases the Lord? Number five, what pleases the Lord? And that will bring so many things back into perspective. It'll bring everything back into perspective. I'm about to have this conversation. Will this be pleasing to the Lord? I'm not going to have that conversation. I'm, I'm going to watch the show on TV. Will this please the Lord? Uh, let's just turn it off. More and more, right? I'm going to believe this about my brother or sister. Will that please the Lord? I choose not to believe that. I'm going to think this about my church or the leadership. God says, does that please the Lord? Uh, you know what? I can't think that. I can't have that attitude. You see how it just brings everything back into focus. Does it please the Lord? And finally, verse 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head. That is Christ. Sorry, it's not on the screen. Speak the truth in love. We will all things grow. Verse 16. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This all comes together. And can I tell you, it's way more awesome than seeing how toothpicks are made. See how disciples of Christ, how the body of Christ is made and built is awesome. But remember this. You are in process. You're in process. We're working towards these things. Paul says, not that I've already achieved or attained all of these things, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind, I press on towards the goal. I look ahead. You are in process. So none of this is designed to make you feel bad. You are in process in that, in that continuum of raw materials to image of Christ. You're somewhere in here, and so am I. And that's okay. 
In fact, that's good. But then remember this as well. You are part of the process. And while God is working on you, he's using you to work on others. And so we need each other. We need each other as the body of Christ to be fully equipped because we're a part of the process in each other's lives. Don't for a second believe anything different. Can we stand together this morning? I want to encourage you this week, two things. Our life groups, we take time to sit at life group and unpack these thoughts because right now you're, you're in a static uh, posturing. You're, you're receiving and hopefully you're actively listening. But we're not having a dialogue here. But life group will allow you to sit in a room with people, share a cup of coffee, some good desserts or uh, some snacks, maybe worship a little bit and then have a conversation about these things. If you've not visited a life group yet, grab a bulletin, grab one of the flyers. Tuesday, thir- Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday night, we have life groups. And let's press into these things. So that's one thing. The other thing is this. Would you take time this week to reread Ephesians chapter 4? And if you're a reader and you enjoy the Word of God, which I hope you all do, read the whole book of Ephesians. And read these things in context and hear Paul's heart for the Ephesian church. Because you don't just need a pastor to tell you what the Bible says. That the Holy Spirit will bring things to life out of His Word in your life. Allow Him to shape you and mold you. Let's grow together as the body of Christ. Into our head, who is Jesus. Father God, I thank you that you are so committed to the process. Your word says that you will never leave us or forsake us. Lord, your word says that you who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. Lord, that you're not satisfied with a halfway done believer, a half mature Christian. So Lord, I pray that we would take these things, these these instructions from Paul, from your word, and we would take them to heart that we would, we would put them into practice so that we would not be like infants tossed back and forth. That we wouldn't subject ourselves or listen to flighty doctrines. That we wouldn't be manipulative. And Lord, that we would never give ear to lying spirits. Establish us. Mature us. Make us strong. So Lord, we could reach others the good news of who you are and what you want to do in their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.